As you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24 this morning, I want to introduce you to today's message, recognizing Jesus in an unrecognizable world. A few questions for us to begin today. For you, what troubles and worries burden you today? Why can the world seem so unrecognizable to us sometimes? What and to whom do we look for to encouragement? And how can we invite Christ into our homes if we cannot see him? These questions and many more we will be seeking to answer through our study in the text today. Luke chapter 24, we have these two on the road to Emmaus who must have felt like their world seemed unrecognizable. They're troubled and encountered by a man who from the text we will see was Jesus. But Jesus kept their eyes from seeing him as the risen Savior. They're asked several questions, and then they were chided or corrected by this man who then opens up the scriptures to teach them what it says about the Messiah. They invite him into their home where this guest takes the position at the table as if he were the host, although only invited in as a guest. The man took the bread at this meal, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them, and suddenly their eyes were opened. They recognized him as the Christ. And as soon as they recognize him, Jesus, he disappears. The two discuss what had happened and then go right away to tell others what they had saw. We will read much of this passage in Luke chapter 24, but our focus will outline in consisting of the following three verses, 30, 31, and 32. We'll see in verse 30 that they recognized him by his power Verse 31, we'll see that they recognize his position, I'm sorry. 31, they will recognize him by his power. In verse 32, they recognized him by his preaching. For you today, you can recognize Jesus by his position, by his power, and by his preaching. Recognizing Jesus in an unrecognizable world, Luke chapter 24. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. We're going to start at verse 13 of Luke chapter 24. But that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. He said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, besides all this, it's the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Verse 24, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it as the women had said, but they did not see him. He said to them, O foolish ones, Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, in, he interpreted to them all the scriptures concerning himself. So they drew near to the village, to where they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him to strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and now the day is far spent. So he went in and he stayed with them. Here are three verses for this morning. He was at the table with them. He took the bread and blessed it and broke it, gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the road while he opened up the scriptures to us? And then they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. They said, the Lord has risen indeed, he's appeared to Simon. And then these two from Emmaus, they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. You may have a seat. Let us start with a recap of Luke chapter 24. The scene here is one on a desert highway, northwest of Jerusalem, to a village named, village named Emmaus. These two are using their long walk to discuss all which had happened in their lives recently. The death and burial of Jesus they were sure of, but now words of a resurrection. Beginning in chapter 24 here, several women visit the tomb. They find that the stone has been rolled away. They were appeared to by these two angels in dazzling apparel. The angels say he's not here, he has risen. The women report the message to the 11 disciples, then to the apostles, and then to all the rest. These two on the road did not believe. Simon Peter goes to see for himself and marvels at what has must happened. Verse 13, where we started reading, the two on the road cannot bring themselves to believe. They're so troubled by the things of their world, they have become so cold to the truths they once knew, that which they had confidence in now seemed unrecognizable. I take a moment and ask what troubles and worries burden you today? May I ask right now in the quietness of your heart before we get into this text to say, Lord Jesus, whatever trouble and worry I have right now, I give it to you. Say in your heart and your mind to your Savior, Heavenly Father, you are the Lord God Almighty who reigns. I believe in the risen one. Because you live, every fear is gone. I ask you to pray this, Lord, I give you my doubt and my concerns. Show me the wonders of your word today. Be with me in my troubles and in my worries. Enter Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 15, Jesus himself drew near and asked these two what they're talking about. He engages with them. He engages with you and with me. He draws near to us, weary sinners, with concern, sensing that we need him the most at these times. He notices them walking in their sadness. Soon he'll press deeper, engage further. I might suggest, is there people, are there people in your life today 
that you bow out of difficult situations, not wanting to get into the mess of their lives. I pray this message in part would embolden you to press on, to be persistent, to continue to engage with others in their darkest moments. But they did not see Jesus coming. Verse 16, Jesus keeps their eyes from recognizing him. We'll get into that in more detail. Their world seems so unrecognizable to them at this moment. And often in times of doubt and frustration, we, like these two, may have a negative response to someone's care in our lives. Appalled that someone else wouldn't understand the worries that we have. Are we not sometimes quick to anger, fast to speak like these two? Christ asks, what is this conversation that you're holding? And probes further, specifically asking, what things? Jesus is not being humorous here. He's not teasing them. He's being patient with them. Letting them be the ones to share what is on their hearts. Verse 19, they speak of the Christ and what has happened. They give him the accolades, saying he was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God. He was condemned to die, but they continue to doubt. Just as they must have been discussing along the way, they hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. They say, besides all this, they say, it is now the third day since these things have happened. It was, it was day three. There was no savior. I can feel the anger in their voices. The hurt. The anxiety and the pain in their countenance, I can imagine. Are we not impatient with the Savior's work as to determine the time and place that we ought to be shepherded? Jesus knew their pain. He knew their doubt. But he came to them and was not giving up on them. The women at the tomb, they say his body was gone, claiming a vision from angels. They said he was alive. What more do the men want? The proof is right there. But alas, don't we often not see what is right in front of us? Others went to verify it was true. His body was gone. One commentator had said, in this confession, these two of Emmaus, one can clearly see the violent struggle between hope and fear that must have raged in their hearts. For us today, what and to whom should we look to for encouragement? Because I don't know about you, but when I look around at the world today, I often, even with the truths that I've been taught at my darkest moments, everything around me seems unrecognizable. Jesus asked them questions about their sadness. Perhaps Jesus wanted to, them to verbalize their worry and their hope. Perhaps Jesus wanted them to see that there are people on the outside of our worries and our troubles that often want to care for us and want to push in. And then here, verse 25, Jesus says, like a father to his child before he disciplines them, with a tone of loving correction, seeking that they would return to the proper path. Oh, foolish ones. 
slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken? Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? We sang it today. The mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend. The agonies of Calvary. You, the perfect Holy One, crushed your Son who drank the bitter cup reserved for me. By your perfect sacrifice I've been brought near. Your enemy you've made your friend. Pouring out the riches of your glorious grace. Your mercy and your kindness know no end. Jesus calls these two foolish, slow to heart to believe. However, he also affirms that they are discussing some understanding, some beliefs that they're understanding correct. The Christ should suffer and should rise again, so he cares for them the best way that he can. By opening up the word of God to them, teaching them the scriptures and all what they have to say about the Messiah. This likewise is the number one thing that we can do for those in need, to open up the word of God and let the truth of the gospel ring loud. Remember, they don't know that this is the risen Christ, but what do they do? They invite him in. They entertain his teachings. They urged him strongly to stay the night, seeming to have a sensitivity an inkling that their encounter was not by chance, perhaps an interest to see the situation changed, and Christ agrees and joins them at their table. How can we let Christ into our homes when we cannot see him? Perhaps there's a sense and a lesson of hospitality here. Hebrews chapter 13, 1 and 2 says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unaware. The very thing they were worried about and doubted was sitting there at the table with them. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. To reach out and to touch him and to say that we love him. Open our ears, Lord. Help us to listen. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. To verse 30, we will see here that they recognized him by his position. Jesus positions himself at the head of the table, breaking and blessing the bread for the meal. First, Christ joins them for the dinner at the table. He accepts their welcome, acting as if he were going along forward, forcing them to be the ones to invite him in. Here he takes the role of the host and not the guest. He took the bread and blessed it and broke it. He gives it to them. We ought to see Jesus today in his position as prophet, priest, and king, and head in our lives. You see, at this meal, this was not the normal way a guest would seat themselves at the table. The guest would not be the one distributing the bread. This was a task reserved for the hosts. As ordinary disciple, these two had not attended the institution of the Lord's Supper that we saw in Luke chapter 22. Perhaps the apostles had told them about the observance 
or the way in which Christ was the host at that meal. More than likely, they had seen Jesus in his regular breaking of the bread, the distributing of food at ordinary meals. Perhaps there was a special way that he blessed the bread that day, a familiar and intimate prayer of grace. The language here recalls the feeding of the 5,000 in Luke chapter 9, verse 16. The language also recalls that of the Lord's Supper itself. But I'm persuaded not to see this as a communion meal. First, there was no wine. There was nothing said over the elements. And it surely is not the Messianic banquet, as all the saints are not gathered. So what is the significance of Jesus breaking and blessing this bread? Here, in this common meal, he joins them for earthly sustenance. A hearty meal after a long and a weary day. The guest is serving his hosts. I believe this meal is a picture of a communion in the future. A communion yet still to come when the Savior will not be present physically. Christ will not be physically present in our communion table today, but the bread and the juice will be a representation of his body broken and his blood spilled out for us. It'll be a remembrance conducted as we gather as the church until one day in glory we will eat with our Savior again in heaven, the true head of the church. So if this meal was not a communion meal, how do we see Christ in the everyday things of life? I would argue that first we need to continue in our fellowship even without his physical presence. Here at East White Oak we gather for our pathways of discipleship. For Sunday worship, like we're gathering here today, for Bible fellowships for all ages, for small groups of all ages, each of these are praising Christ for his position as king. They're praying to Christ through the power to let us see him at work, the perfect high priest, and practicing what Christ is preaching and is telling us to do, the fulfiller of all prophecy. Our fellowship is important to him. And often as the good Bible Belt believer that I am, Lord willing, over a good hearty meal now and again, perhaps you'll join me for one. Our pathways of discipleship gather for meals and for fellowship, as well as for study and prayer and for service. These two were beginning to recognize Jesus by his position that day. To recognize means to become thoroughly acquainted with, to know thoroughly, either by sight or by hearing or certain signals that one might give off. To recognize means to perceive who a person is. Something was different about this guest as he took the place in the position of host grabbing the bread. Something was special about this man that day who taught about the kingly position of royalty that the true mighty prophet and Messiah that they loved and missed so dearly would hold. Something had been burning inside of them as this man opened up the word, positioning himself as the one who promised he would come to seek and to save the lost, the troubled, and the weary in this way, they recognized him by his position. 
as host of the meal, alluding that Jesus one day would host again a meal at the wedding supper of the Lamb. When all the saints are gathered, he will take his position as the reigning king, the bridegroom, the Lord God Almighty who reigns. Amen? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 26, verse 29, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. They recognized him by his position. Verse 31, they recognized him by his power. Why were their eyes kept from recognizing Jesus? Luke makes it clear that these two do not have the full picture in focus to begin with. The eyes of their heart are clouded with doubt. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18 say, May you be given a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The Greek term here for the word kept, it's a keeping power. Someone is to be the chief of, master of, to rule over something. Here, the object of that is the eyes. The Greek term implies a taking possession of, to hold, to seize, to restrain. Now, scholars dispute the force that's at work here. Did God conceal their eyes in this information? Was it their own spiritual blindness that was the problem? Perhaps was Satan at fault here? The construction of the sentence here implies that the actions of these two, it was not their actions that kept them blind. Satan is not even mentioned in this resurrection account. One commentator said there would come a time when their eyes would clearly see But in their current uncertainty, the God of power still had things to teach them. And only he would reveal and raise the veil of their eyes soon. Well, who else has had their eyes closed in the Bible? There's a lot of concealing done in Luke. He told his disciples in Luke chapter 9, Let these words sink into your ears that the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this. It was concealed from them so they may not perceive it. Jesus foretold of his death a third time in Luke chapter 18. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, be mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon, And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he'll rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. They did not grasp what was being said. There are several uh, examples of the lack of recognition of Jesus found in John chapter 20 and John chapter 21. On the flip side, what scriptures beg us that our eyes are opened? 2 Kings chapter 6 says, Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. 
Isaiah chapter 32 says, The eyes of those who see will not be closed, and the ears of those who hear will give attention. Psalm 146 says, The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down, for the Lord loves the righteous. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Christ is the one with the power here, opening the eyes of those to this day. Perhaps there was something familiar about Jesus that these two encountered. Pastor Scott preached an amazing message on this whole section on Easter Sunday of 2015. It's a great overview if you'd like to, re- like to listen to it. And I love how Pastor Scott puts it. He said, their hearts had come to life. And so when they're at the table in the evening and the day is far spent, the sun is going down, Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And at that moment, they see him for who he really is. It's the Savior. I love the way Pastor said it. Was it the way the sun glanced upon his shoulder as it was setting? Was it the folds of his clothes? Was it the way he broke the bread? Was it the way he prayed? It could have been all those things and more. One commentator says, perhaps it was the piercings that they recognized as they hung him on the cross. What was so important about the breaking of the bread which caused Jesus to open their eyes? His focus here was on the fellowship, and that must have been very important to him. He longs to be with those that he loves, In the days after his resurrection, he appeared to so many, to Mary Magdalene, to various other women, to Simon Peter, to the disciples, to a group of 500, to James, and later on, the Mount of Olives, to Stephen, to Paul, to John. The risen Savior longs to be with us, to commune with us, to break bread with us at these meals. For the mealtime is a time of rejoicing with those that we love. But notice he broke, blessed and broke the bread and decided to vanish before they could partake. Perhaps this is a sign of communion to come when he will be present but no longer physically there to partake with us. This may be the reason with the bread at this moment that he opened their eyes as so to burn it into their memory. Jesus said he would not partake again until his kingdom comes, for on this day his kingdom had not yet come. For on this day he ate no bread, he served no wine. Many scriptures recount of Jesus' appearances after the resurrection. Does he often vanish like this? I counted over a dozen times that he appeared after his resurrection. He appeared suddenly in John chapter 20 behind a locked door, These appearances are so many, they provide one with some of the best defenses of the resurrected Christ. So many people saw him in so many different places, his appearances are as solid as any other historical fact in the first century. A great study of John Walvoord's book, previous president at Dallas Theological Seminary, his book, Jesus Christ Our Lord, is an excellent place for further study if you're interested. Here, though, not only does Christ appear, he literally then was taken out of sight, made invisible. It's the only use of the Greek term here in Scripture to vanish. 
meaning to be made hidden, to be taken out of sight. Dr. Thomas Constable says after his resurrection, Jesus could appear and disappear at will. It's an attribute of his resurrected body. He disappeared then because these disciples had become believers in and witnesses of his resurrection. He left them to carry out their duty as his witnesses. And perhaps, this commentator says, Luke also included Jesus' remarkable disappearance to impress his Greek readers that Jesus was supernatural, not a mere man, not a mere prophet. The fact that Jesus vanished from their presence Dear ones, does not mean that he's abandoned us. He was still with them even though they could not see him. Up to this point, the two had seen and heard the glory of the kingdom, but they failed to understand the suffering of Jesus. His disappearance confirms he had received a unique and glorified resurrected body. These two recognized Jesus by his power. And we'll see here in verse 32 that they recognized him by his preaching. Do your hearts burn within you with the teachings of Scripture? Jesus has vanished, and now the two continue in their conversation. They recall the emotions that they had felt on the road as he was teaching them. They were burdened by the message and perhaps burdened by their distrust. He opens the scriptures to them. One of my professors at Liberty University, James Borland, said that Christ must have pointed out from Genesis to Malachi that day how it was predicted that the Messiah would come and suffer prior to his exaltation as king. My professor said he must have quoted Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. What a glorious Bible lesson it must have been for them that day but how it must have grieved the Savior and his heart to witness such a lack of faith and lack of understanding in the very ones who claimed to be his followers. They now realize that this was the Christ all along, preaching the word of God to them, preaching just like Paul did in Acts chapter 17 when he reasoned with the Jews from the Scriptures explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. Warren Wearsby says, that was some Bible conference. I wish I was there. Imagine the greatest teacher explaining the greatest themes from the greatest books, bringing the greatest lessons and blessings of all times to their eyes, opening their eyes to see, opening their hearts to receive the word, and then opening their lips to go and tell others of the Jesus they have encountered. Countered. Perhaps Jesus started in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel, noting the first promise of the Redeemer. Then perhaps maybe he went through all the promises of Scripture, lingering at Genesis chapter 22, telling of Abraham, placing his only beloved son on the altar. Surely touching on the Passover, the Levitical sacrifices, the tabernacle ceremonies. He did not teach them doctrine or theology or prophecy only. He taught them the things concerning himself. They talk of the burning in their hearts that day. This heaviness and weightiness of the truths that they've heard. 
Surely they recalled the chastisement as foolish ones, slow of heart to believe. Their hearts burned while he talked with us. Elsewhere in Scripture, we see this to burn, to express an uncontrollable longing to speak or to pray in a time of distress. One commentator interprets it that they felt strangely warmed, an allusion to John Wesley's conversion experience as he heard the gospel being expounded by the words of Martin Luther. But I understand this like the New Testament scholar Howard Marshall. He said the reality of the risen Jesus was already making itself known to the disciples as he spoke to them struggling to put itself into the conscious form and only being recognized for what it was after the visual revelation of Jesus. Their hearts were burning as they felt the strong urge to respond to Jesus' powerful words. Similarly, in Jeremiah chapter 20, when he says, "'If I say I will not mention him or speak any more of his name,' There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, for I cannot. Johannes Norvell Glendehys was a South African minister and Bible commentator. He studied at the University of Pretoria. The Princeton Theological Seminary was the minister of the Dutch Reformed Church in South Africa. He's known for his 1950s commentary on Luke. It came the first published version in the New International Commentary on the New Testament, known as a preacher, pastor, theologian. He said about this verse, he said, all of a sudden, everything became clear to the two, and they realized why they had been so moved by the manner in which the stranger had expounded the scripture to them. Although Jesus had departed so soon after they recognized him, all doubt was now banished from their hearts. He says they now know he is risen, he lives as the Messiah, the promised Redeemer, and it certainly immediately brought such light and joy into their hearts, they have an irresistible urge to get up, to go, and to share their joy. Without delay, they go back to Jerusalem the same evening, Sustained by that extraordinary enthusiasm created in their souls, they go quickly as to relate their sacred experiences. The next several verses tell us what they did next. They knew now what they must do. They must go and proclaim the gospel. They must trust the position and the power and the preaching of Jesus They have come to recognize him in an unrecognizable world. And they go and return to tell others of the risen Savior. How can you ensure that you're listening to and recognizing the true word of God today? I submit this to you, that you need to have fellowship with other believers. We need to invite others into our homes and our lives. We need teachers to shepherd a church with elders a savior to lead us. We need to go and tell strangers that good news. Who are you allowing to open the scripture to you on a regular basis? What is your engagement in our pathways here at East White Oak? 
join one of our winter workshops this next week or small groups here at the church gathered together for fellowship, to study, to pray, to dine with those that the Lord has placed in your life. These two recognized Jesus by his preaching, so we do well to follow. You could recognize Jesus by his position, his power, and his preaching today. Recognizing Jesus in an unrecognizable world. The real problem these two faced, and that which we may be facing today, is not in our heads, but it's in our hearts. They could have discussed the happenings for days had the Savior not come, and never come to the right conclusions. What God provided for them was a supernatural understanding from their Savior. Dwight Pentecost says the unbelief with its resultant sorrow and fear, had now given way to joy of faith in the resurrection of Christ. Jesus opened the scriptures. He opened their eyes. Their basic problem was that they did not believe. They saw the Messiah, but not the suffering servant. They saw the crown, but not the cross. Lord, we ask you today, open our eyes that we may see and recognize you by your position, your power, and your preaching. Pray with me this morning. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to celebrate communion today now. We've learned the breaking of the bread we've studied in Luke chapter 24 most likely refers to a common meal, not to the Lord's Supper. But you, Lord, the true prophet, priest, and king, you, King Jesus, revealed yourself to those two men on the road in that town during a common meal. To these two who were worrying on the road, who thought you were gone forever, Lord, perhaps we worry yet again that the one that we hope would return to usher in his final kingdom has not yet returned. Lord Jesus, reveal yourself to us as you did to those on the road that day. May we recognize you by your position as king coming soon to take his bride to that final wedding supper of the Lamb. May we recognize you by your power to open our eyes so we may see and know you. And may we recognize you by your preaching that we would not neglect your teachings along the way. Lord, may our hearts burn within us as we open Scripture. Lord Jesus, teach us to see you in the everyday things of life. And may each one in the sound of my voice, Lord, trust you as their Lord and Savior. Wanting to proclaim to the world that they were each buried with you in your likeness of your death. Being raised with you in the likeness of your resurrection. Now walking in newness of life. Today, Lord, perhaps for the very first time, those who trust in you would celebrate communion at the Lord's Supper as we were commanded. Together, united as the church and united as Christians in this local body, we ask you, Lord Jesus, reveal yourself to us in a new way, for we will not be satisfied with anything less than the worship of the one true God. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.